We are um, in the second week of this series on together, being together in the body of Christ and how that um, we are not here by ourselves, we're not alone, we're not all out there on an island uh, without any contact with anyone, but that God has created us, he formed us, and created us to live in community. In fact, of all the perfection of creation before mankind's sin, even though it was perfectly made by God in his plan, it was not yet complete when he looked at Adam and he let Adam see all the animals and all the plants and everything else, and he let Adam realize, whoa, something has something, something missing here. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Because he designed us to be together. And in the church, that is an ultimate expression of, of God's family, that we are to walk with one another. And last week we began and we talked about uh, together we find peace. We talked about how walking together uh, as believers, as a church, we grow and develop a sense of peace as we are part of something that is much bigger than us, as God builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, brick upon brick, that is, each of our lives go into building his kingdom, and we're part of something amazing. And this week, uh, we are looking at together, we experience love. Together, we experience love. And again, we're in the book of Ephesians, this time chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 16 through 19, and I want to ask that you would please uh, stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And by the way, this is a prayer uh, that Paul here is praying over his people in Ephesus. And every time we use, you hear the word you, I want you to understand uh, that's not you singular, so if you're like the old King James, you just substitute the word ye in there, or like us Southerners, y'all, okay? This is something he's saying for every one of the folks in this church. And so I want you to imagine this prayer being prayed over you as a congregation here at Bersheba. I pray that out of his rich, glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, thank you for that prayer that Paul prayed around 2,000 years ago and that that prayer is still a model for us and what you want for us, how you want us to experience your love together as the body of the Christ. And I pray as we dig into uh, this very special prayer, Lord, that it would have power and meaning in our lives helping us to understand and to strive for what you have for us, that we would not be satisfied with less than all of the goodness that you have prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
So this morning, as we think about together we experience love, if you're, if you're using your little outline sheet or if you're taking notes in a notebook, you could also title it, How to Pray for Your Church. Because these are the things that are so important that Paul wanted for this church at Ephesus and that every single one of us should want not only for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is a model both in terms of a prayer, and this is also a model of things that, that we should aspire to, that we should want in our lives. And there are four things, basic things, that Paul prays for uh, in this short prayer, in verses 16 through 19. First thing he prays for is strength. Paul prays for strength. You and I ought to pray for strength for ourselves and for one another. Because, see, Christianity, true Christianity, biblical Christianity, is not for wimps. Now, this isn't a physical thing, okay? Uh, he says, according to your inner man. I remember I used to have a friend who I joke, tease about his muscles because he was kind of string bean kind of guy, you know, and, and he'd say, man, I got inner strength. That's what he'd say. You can't see it, Tim, but I got inner strength. Well, inner strength is really what he's talking about here. This is not about being a muscle man or a muscle woman, but this is on the inside having the strength to love. You see, a lot of times we think of love in terms of something soft, something easy, something light. But in reality, love can be very heavy. Uh, love can be, have a great weight to it. And so love is not something that any 97-pound uh, wimp on the beach can carry around, so to speak. But in our inner beings, in our inner selves, we have to have great strength if we're really going to love. See, there's some people that think they're really tough and macho because they kind of, you know, hold themselves off from everybody. They're not strong. They're weak. They are not strong enough to open themselves up because love opens us. It makes us vulnerable to others when we open our hearts to love. And Paul says, I want every single one of you, I am praying that God would strengthen you so that you can love the way you ought to love one another. The second thing that he prays, asks for, for them is depth. Not only do we need strength, but we need depth in our love. You see, love is not shallow. Love is not one-dimensional. Love is not skin deep. Real love is, is great. It's interesting here. Now, when I was reading, I was thinking, well, Paul's describing three-dimensional. Well, then he t talks about four things. I thought, maybe it's four-dimensional. I mean, it's, it's wide and long and high and deep and all this stuff. I mean, he's saying no matter how you measure it, it is amazing. It is beyond what most of us can comprehend. He talks about here, he uses um, three special terms to describe this idea of being really deep, love being deep. The first one is the word dwell. He talks about Christ uh, dwelling in our hearts through faith. Now this is interesting. It kind of brings me back to, to Charlie, your little children's sermon earlier. Um, by the way, if, if any of you have ever all of a sudden like caught one thing I said and then your mind just kind of went running 
And then five minutes later, you pick up and you're like, hmm, what was that in the middle? Um, I, I feel you. I understand that because sometimes my mind wants to run too. And so when Carly was doing this, a couple of things went through my mind. First of all, he said, he told us that this sermon was going to be more for adults than kids. And then he reads the verse, and in that verse, my mind latches onto two words, wipe out. And I'm thinking, Beach Boys, Charlie's about to sing Wipeout. This is going to be great. Well, he kind of let me down there. Well, he kept, he kept going. And, but then my mind brought up another question. When he let every single child touch that egg once the shell was off, and I'm like, is he going to eat it? Is he going to eat it after all the children have handled it? So I want to know, Charlie, what happens to that egg, okay? I don't want it to go to waste. So... But, but seriously, he was talking about, you know, that egg and that hard shell and that God removes that hard shell and softens our hearts where, where we can, you know, he can come in and he can, he can work in our lives. But, you know, it's very interesting, even though we sometimes when we're calling people to, to faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes we word it as ask Jesus into your heart. But, you know, the times when the verses that talk about, you know, Jesus coming in, they're actually directed to Christians. You know, in Revelations, when he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he's talking to church folks. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, you guys have kind of pushed me out and I need to be in. And right here in Ephesians, he, he says, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts. And what that word literally means is to be at home. He's not saying, Ephesians, I don't believe you're really Christians. He's saying, Ephesians, I want Christ to be completely comfortable and at home in your heart. That Christ is there all the time. That it's not a situation of, oh, I'm going to let Christ in every once in a while and I'll clean up real good and we'll throw everything in the closets and in the junk drawers and, and make it look nice for Christ. But that Christ is completely at home in our hearts that we make it a comfortable place for him by the way we live our lives, by our heart and our spirit and our mind. So dwell is one word he uses to describe this depth. A second word is rooted. We all understand the concepts of, of, of roots, right? We plant things, whether it be garden vegetables or trees. If they don't have a good root system, they aren't going to last. I'm always fascinated when a storm comes Often, the very tree that you think, oh, that tree looks great, it's going to survive, nothing's going to happen to it, and boom, there it goes. And you're like, I, I couldn't believe that tree did that. How, how did it fall over like that? And sometimes it's because it breaks in the middle, but often it's because its root system isn't deep enough. And God is saying here, your love for him and for one another, it's not about just what shows on the outside, but how deep is that ingrained within you? And then the third term for the depth, he uses grounded. And Paul is using an architectural term here. This is about foundations. And everybody who's ever built anything from a little old shed to a big old mansion knows that if you don't get the foundation right then everything else is going to be messed up. So Paul is saying, I'm praying that you have the strength that you are man enough or woman enough to really love people and not be a wimp who closes yourself off to everyone, but you have that strength. Secondly, that you have the depth 
That love is just not some catchphrase for you, some word you toss around, but you really take in the depth of my love. The third thing he asks, he prays for them, is for a firm grip. Paul prays for the Christians that they would get a firm grip on God's love. In verse 19, it says this, And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that, oh, sorry, back to 18, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul says this is something that you need to hold on to, that you need to grab, that you need to, to with dear life, cling to. When we tell someone to get a grip, we're telling them, hey, hang on to reality because you're in danger of going off into uh, unreality here. Well, Paul is literally saying, I want you to get a grip, a grasp. I want you to hold on tight to the reality of God's love. This is not just something theoretical in your minds, Paul says. It is something that he has given you and yet, if he put, puts it out there and you do not reach for it and grab it, you will not fully possess it the way you should. And he said, I want you to grab with all your might like you're hanging on to a cliff. And you will not let go because it's life and death. That's the way I want you to hold on to my love and how we are to express it to one another. How often we fall and we fail. So many times I talk to believers about their spiritual journey, and if they've been around a while, sometime in there, there's a tough, rough spot, and it's because they were hurt by another believer or group of believers because they have not been loving the way God has called them to. You see, love is slippery. We, we think love's easy, but it's heavy. It's deep. And love is slippery. It can escape our grafts so easily. And so he says, hold on tight. Grip it, grasp it with all that you have. And the final uh, verb, the final thing that, that God um, is once for us and Paul prays for is for fullness of love. Fullness of love. In the last verse, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, what do we think about fullness? Uh, usually, we, we think about good meal. You know, I think, I think uh, after lunch, especially next week, when we have that dinner on the ground, we're all going to walk out, oh, I'm, I'm good and full, you know. But we also think about it in terms of a tank, like our lawnmower or, or our, our car. And what's funny there is we all have different personal comfort levels with fullness. You know, I know some people that if that needle is not on F, I mean, if it's not all the way up, they're not feeling good about it. That's kind of extreme. But now my grandmother, I'm telling you, when that thing hit halfway, panic mode. It, we are going to get to a gas station somehow, some way, because it's below half a tank, you know, and, and, and we can't have something bad happen. And for some of us, it's a quarter of a tank. For some of us, it's when the yellow light comes on. 
For some of us, it's when it says you're empty, and some of us, when we get to that figure that somehow we know how many miles past zero it's going to go. A few of us have calculated that and figured that out personally. Oh, honey, you're, you're worried about nothing. I've got at least 12 more miles once it hit, you know. I've heard people do that. Surely not me. But, you know, it's, uh, we all have different comfort levels there. Because here's the thing. As long as there's gas in the tank, whether it's three-fourths full or a quarter full, it's going to work. What Paul is telling us about love, though, is it's not like that. Love is not okay if it's just a quarter of a tank or half a tank or even three-fourths of a tank. Paul says, I don't want you to be satisfied. Well, my love light's not on. You know, I'm, I'm loving. I'm more than some of those hateful people out there. Or, you know, I don't hate anybody or I, I kind of like everybody. And Paul says, that's, that's not enough. And then we compare ourselves to, well, I'm love more than they. No, nope. That's not the comparison to make, Paul says. The comparison to make to love is I want you to be as full as God's love is full. So if you're going to go around and say, well, I got enough, Paul says, wait a minute, enough is when you love as much as God loves. Then you can say enough. But until you and I are tank of love for other people, until it grows, Paul said, into the full measure of God's love, you're not okay yet. You and I still have a little bit of more work to do. Are we thankful and glad that God has made us more loving people? Amen, absolutely. Sometimes I look back and I cringe at things that I've said or done, and I thank you, Lord. <clears throat> I don't think I would do that anymore. You know, I, I hope I wouldn't do that anymore. I, I'm thankful that I'm growing some in my love for others and how I treat them. But when I really look at my love compared to what it should be, I know that I'm still on a journey and I've got a long ways to go. There's a lot in my tank that needs to be filled. God wants us to experience his love together. Love is used so often in our world and even in the church that it becomes this trite little thing like, yes, Jesus loves everyone, I love everyone, and we act like it's important and yet not a big deal all at the same time. Like it's something just simple that almost automatically happens. And Paul says, no way. I'm not just tossing around the love word because it's no big deal. He says, I want you to understand, if you want to really get love the way you ought to get it, it's to be in community with other believers, and I'm going to pray that you have the strength because it's heavy. I pray that you have the, 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 the depth because it's multidimensional. It's not some surface level thing. I'm going to pray that you have a grasp on it because it's slippery. It's elusive. One moment, we can all be the most loving thing in the world. And the very next moment, we can be cutting someone to shreds, if we're honest. Love is slippery, and we need to hold tight onto it. And finally, he says, and, and, and if that's not all enough, by the way, I want you to be, com be completely filled up with God's love. I want you to never get complacent where you say, well, I've done my time, as I, I've done enough good deeds, I've loved enough, my spirit is, has enough. No, 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 no. Until you're full of love the way God is full, 
you still need to keep filling up with his spirit. And as we pray those things for ourselves and one another, God changes us. He makes us more loving, even as he reminds us of how far we have to go to completely love the way he loves. But it's a growth. It's a direction of growing in God's love, not just towards him, but towards one another. As John says, he who cannot love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. It's not enough to just say, oh, I love you, Lord. Save me from these fools I can't stand all around me. It's God, I love you. God, help me to love others the way you love them, the way you love me. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we come to you and Lord, your love for us is overwhelming. Your love for us is amazing. It's incredible. It's beyond what we can fathom. And yet, God, you have called us to grow in strength to carry that love and and to embrace the depth and to grab it and to hold on and, and to keep on seeking it. God, help us to do those things and that we would pray and seek those things not only for ourselves but for one another as well. Lord, we pray that you would just fill us with your spirit and your love that we might shine brightly to a world in darkness. A world that is full of strife and hate and war. God, you've called us to be a light. Help us to be so. Bless this time now that we have of responding to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.